All right, we are in our vocation collection, and man, it's been a really good collection so far. We've been talking about what is our purpose here on earth, and we talked a few weeks ago and established that our foundational purpose, why God created us, why we exist, has nothing to do with what we're called to do. Our foundational purpose for existing is to be in a love relationship with God, to receive love from him. But out of that foundation, now we ask, then God, what am I supposed to do here on earth? What is my purpose? What is my calling? So those are the kind of questions that we're asking. But I want to start with this. You know, you shared your highlights. I'm wondering if any of you, any of you your highlight was just in the middle of your work week, sitting in front of your computer and working on what you're doing. I would bet for most of us, we've had this experience. You find yourself in the middle of your busy work week. You're sitting at your desk or maybe your coffee shop or your sofa now since we're working from home. You're staring blankly into the screen and you're thinking, what am I doing here? Or what is the point of all? Can I get an amen? Anyone ever feel that in the middle of your work week, right? What am I doing? Why am I at this company? I don't even care for the app that we're developing. What is the point of all of this? And I think it's safe to say that for many of us, there is this huge disconnect between work and between faith and how they integrate together in our lives. Come on, am I, am I preaching to anyone? Is that true for you? Maybe every now and then we'll invite a coworker to church or, you know, actually pray before a meal in front of all our coworkers and not be ashamed. Or maybe we'll blast Maverick City or Elevation a little louder in our headphones so people could faintly hear it. But at best, it feels like oftentimes when it comes to faith and work, it feels like we're trying to fit like a square peg into a round hole. And so for many of us, we've just given up on trying to integrate the two, faith and work. And so we separate it. Faith is faith. Work is work. Job is job. Church is church. And we don't really know or have an awareness of how they flow together or integrate into our lives. And somehow we have this really toxic idea that the only way, the only people that fully integrate work and faith are people that work in the church. But who wants to be a pastor, right? No one wants to be a pastor, right? So, so now we live with this dilemma that only people that work full-time in ministry at church know how to fully integrate work and faith, and the rest of us are just trying to figure it out, stumbling along. One time I had a church member come to me and said, Pastor Mickey, I'm really struggling at work. I feel like I'm wasting my time instead of using it to serve the Lord. Like, and then she was saying, Pastor Mickey, it must be so nice being in full-time ministry. All your time goes in, and energy goes into serving God. I feel like my job is always just getting in the way of that. So I asked her, well, do you feel a call to full-time ministry then? She's like, hell no. I don't feel a call to full-time ministry. But there is this dilemma that's going on that somehow only people that work full-time in church have fully integrated work and faith and the rest of us have not. And so something didn't sit right with me about what she said. The idea that somehow my calling to work in the church was more important to God and to the kingdom than her calling to work at her job. That just seemed off to me. Yet we do that, don't we? We've created two categories of believers, whether we know it or not. Those who do regular work and those who do the work of the Lord, right? There's two categories. Those who do regular jobs, work at tech, work at the coffee shop, and those who have the high calling 
the high calling of working for the Lord. You know, Koreans have this weird thing where if you tell them you're a pastor, maybe because Korean pastors, they, they work you so hard that you burn out so quick. But for some reason, when Koreans hear you're a pastor, they say, oh, wow. God bless you. And somehow, sometimes they'll pull out money. Like, they don't even go to your church, but they just feel this empathy for you because serving the Lord is his high calling and it's suffering. I love being a pastor. It's great. I mean, we just had a month and a half off just to, you know, be with baby. It's amazing. But, but we have this idea. We put pastors and missionaries and evangelists and church planners on this pedestal of spiritual significance while engineers or designers or baristas or waiters or trainers or bankers or lawyers seem to be on a step lower, as if God favors the work done inside of the church more, as if the work done outside of full-time ministry is less important to God and to his kingdom. And this tells me that we in the church have a horribly distorted theology of work with deeply rooted misconceptions about work, faith, and how they intertwine into our lives. What if I were to tell you that the work you do is just as important as the work I do? That me preparing a sermon, getting ready to preach on Sunday, that what you do throughout your week can be just as important as me preparing a sermon for Sunday? What if I were to tell you that the calling to full-time ministry is not more important than the calling to your tech company, to your coffee shop, to your hospital, to your own private practice, that in a sense, we are all full-time ministers through our vocation. And so today, I want to explore a few questions. What does God think of work? Why do we work? Is it just a curse from the fall? And I believe that God wants us to reclaim the sacred in our everyday work, in our everyday lives, to reconnect our vocation to the divine. Don't you want that? Don't you want to go to work on Monday? And it's not just you have Monday blues because you don't really care about what you're doing, but, but there's a sense of greater purpose and sacredness with everything that you do. I believe you want it, whether you're nodding or not. But why don't we pray one more time and we'll get into it. God, we need your presence. We need you, Holy Spirit, in everything that we do. And today I pray that you would restore to us the connection between the sacred and our vocation. That everything we do matters because it matters to you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite. You ever read the message translation? Eugene Peterson wrote that. He's this amazing sage in the faith who unfortunately passed a few years ago. But he said, the Bible begins with an announcement. And this is the announcement. In the beginning, God created. I love that it doesn't say, in the beginning, God sat majestically in the heavens and had all of his angels waiting on his every need. It says, in the beginning, God created. He created. He did something. He made something. In essence, he worked. The very first thing that the Bible records God doing is work. He fashioned the heavens and the earth. He formed the land and the sea. He created all of creation. The Bible introduces us to God, first and foremost, as worker. 
It's part of his character and nature. It's the first thing he does. And, you know, I have this image. I think we have this misconception that God is like this fat, lazy Greek God leaning back on his throne, commanding his angels to feed him grapes. You know the image, like, oh, feed me grapes. And someone just sitting back, relaxing, not lifting a finger to do anything himself, demanding all of his children to do his bidding without doing anything for himself. But no, The Bible sets a precedence. The Genesis narrative sets a precedence. God is willing to get down into the dirt and to get his hands dirty and to work. It even says when he was forming us, man, he didn't just speak it. He got down into the dirt on the ground. He got in the mud. He got his hands through the soil, and he formed us from the dust of the ground. No, the biblical portrayal of God is not a lazy being deity that just rests all the time. It's of one of a worker. The week of creation was a week of work. And despite what you may believe, God loves to work. Tim Keller, man, he has a phenomenal book on this called, um, I think, Every Good Endeavor or something like that. But he says this, In the beginning then, God worked. Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do, but that was beneath the great God himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have a more exalted inauguration. Just, just think about that for a second. God worked. For the sheer joy of it. Ask yourself this. When is the last time that you worked on something for the sheer joy of it? Man, some of y'all going way into the recesses of your history because it's been so long since you actually felt that joy and that fulfillment in your work just like it's recorded in Genesis. Um, I, I'm an Enneagram type 7, ENFP Myers-Briggs, which means I, I, I run through a lot of hobbies and then I throw them away, okay? And so I, seasonally, I just get really into things. I, I won't tell you what I'm into right now, but there was a season maybe close to seven years ago where I just really got into making my own beer. And so I had these, like, it looked like a chemical warehouse in my house. There's these big jugs with tubes coming out of it, and I just started fermenting and brewing my own beer. And I got, I tell you what, I spent late night hours into the night, like 2, 3 a.m., like mixing them all and the hops and everything and then putting it in, fermenting it. And there was no tiredness. I was just doing it for the sheer joy of it. I did that for many months. I actually brewed beers for our wedding and then printed our own bottles. Like it was really sick. I'll bring it one time. It doesn't taste good, but it was really fun. Um, Back when I used to do music, um, I I used to do Christian hip-hop. I used to spend... Like, there would be days where I would go to sleep at 5.30 a.m. and have to wake up at 7 a.m. for work or class the next day. But I just remember the feeling for the sheer joy of it, just working. And this is what the Bible records God is doing for the sheer joy of it, not out of duty, not out of responsibility, not to do, just simply for the sheer joy of it, he was working. And then it says this in Genesis 2.15, God has the sheer joy of working. He says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. I think we read this passage and we think, oh God, of course you would. You create humanity to do all the work for you. That's why we exist. But you think about it this way. Have you ever loved something so much and you just need to share it with someone that you care about? 
Like, Chris and I do this all the time. Like, we, we find our favorite foods. We just found this place called Ben's Fast Food, which is actually um, healthy food. Um, I don't know why they call it fast food. Maybe they're trying to uh, revolutionize the game. I don't know. But we, we found this food, and we share it with one another. And in this case, what if God didn't create man because he needed something to get done? But he created him because there's a sheer joy of working, and he put him in the garden so that they can also experience the sheer joy of working. God invites humanity to join in the work he began, not so that they could get something done for him, but so that they could join in the joy of fulfilling work with him, so that they too could work for the sheer joy. Now, I sense the cynicism, the, 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 I sense the cynicism in your heart. You're saying, at this point, some of you are saying, okay, cool story, Pastor Mickey, but let's be real. None of us are going to work on Monday after the sermon, and we're not going to go to our spreadsheets or our computers or our cafes, and we're not going to work for the sheer joy of it. In fact, we shared the statistic a few weeks ago that 55% of millennials are unsatisfied with their career. That's this half of the room. That might be prophetic. Is it prophetic? No, I'm just kidding. This half of the room, half of us in this room do not feel satisfied with our career. And check this out. Only 20% actually feel passionate about what they do. I would bet maybe that's a little less in here. I know Joseph's really passionate about what he does. But I would say for the most of us, we haven't found that thing. And work is just something that we do to get done. In fact, most of us work purely as a means to an end, as a necessary evil. So that one day we could retire on a beach somewhere, pina colada in a hand, and never have to work again. And we're commanding the sea crabs to grab us towels on the beach. I mean, that's just my fantasy. Or you work so that you could fund the kind of lifestyle you want to live, right? I want to be able to afford the kicks. I want to be able to afford the bag, the name brand clothes, the lavish vacations, the luxury car, the endless boba, because it is expensive. Or maybe you're just working to survive. You're just trying to get by. You need to pay rent. You need food on your table. In the ancient Greek world, work was actually considered a curse. They believed that society was organized so that a few people, the rich elite, could enjoy the blessings of leisure. In other words, doing nothing, just sitting on their A words, while everyone else had to work. Everyday work to them in the Greek world was demeaning and something one should try to avoid or grow up out of. The ideal was very much not having to work at all. And I, I want to say that I think the Greek worldview of work has influenced us even to this day. Don't we glamorize those who don't have to work a typical nine to five, who have graduated from grinding, those who are able to retire at 30 Man, I'm 34. There's people that retire at 22. These NBA players, they can retire whenever. And they could do whatever they want to do. Those who are able to be free of responsibilities, of deadlines, of projects, of supervisors. And we have this, this dream, this idealized idea that maybe, just maybe, if we're lucky enough, we can graduate out of having to work so we can just rest and party for the rest of our lives. We dream of retiring early of stepping into an endless vacation. But what has actually happened is we've become so disconnected from God's original design of work and its place in our lives. Dorothy Sayers, 
has amazing things to say about this in her book. She says, what is the Christian understanding of work? Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or it should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he offers himself to God. Hear me, church. Work is not a punishment from the fall. Work is not a result of our sin. Work was tainted and made more arduous as a result of the fall, but work had a place in the order of creation long before sin entered into our world. And I don't know if you know this. Some of you, you're you're about to get your theologies rocked, but we will be working for eternity in heaven in the New Jerusalem. Did you know that? Y'all thought, man, if I could just get through this life, if I could just grind through and finally I get before the pearly gates and I'm welcome to the kingdom of God for all of eternity, man, I could just rest and be in it. You know, we're going to be working for eternity in the kingdom of God. The New Jerusalem, they're going to need artists. They're going to need people to clean up the streets. They're going to need people to serve others. There are going to be workers in eternity in heaven And I know that's hard for us to have a grid for this, but think about this. There's an experience of work so full of joy and fulfillment that we'll want to do it for eternity. Not because we have to, but because we get to. We have no grid for that. But it is the truth. It's good theology that we'll actually be working and it will be the most fulfilling and the most joyful thing doing it for all of eternity, serving God and serving and loving one another. My man, TK, Tim Keller, he puts it this way. Work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, but food for our soul. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut off from work because of physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. It's telling that in the creation narrative, God sets a very specific rhythm or a pattern to creation. He says this, six days of work and one day of rest. For being real, for many of us, it's 350 days of work and one week of rest. But actually, we're just Netflixing or doing other things that actually cause us to need a vacation from our vacation, and we wonder why we're so burned out. It's because we aren't following the rhythm of creation God set from the beginning. Man, some of you, this is a word for you today. You need a day of Sabbath, a day to rest and just to be. Some of you need a day to not want, to not go shopping or be on Amazon or be shopping online, but just say you are enough. This is the rhythm of creation, But on the other end of the spectrum, a life of only rest would leave us immensely unfulfilled and empty. In fact, rest only finds its true meaning in the context of work, which tells us that we need to work in order to thrive in our lives. I love how TK put it. You know, he's my homie, TK. He says, work is this—it's such a basic human need, just like food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer— or even sex. That's how important it is to us. Studies actually show a strong correlation between unemployment and poorer health, physically, mentally, and emotionally. I had a chance to go to Thailand um, 
man, almost 10 years ago. Man, I'm getting old. But I was in Thailand 10 years ago, and when we went to the village, I saw this strange phenomenon. And it was, I passed the house, and it was just full of men on the porch, and they're just literally drunk at noon, like in the middle of the day. And I went to all these houses, and the, the moms, the women, they're, you know, they're running around the house. They're taking care of the household, taking care of the kids. They're cooking. And I asked the missionary, I said, what, what, what's wrong here? Like, what's going on? Why are the dads just literally doing nothing, just getting drunk in the middle of the day? And she said, you know, we ran out of jobs in this, in this area. We ran out of jobs in this village, in this neighborhood. And when the jobs went, the fathers, they, they became purposeless. And they fell into drunkenness, and they fell into despair and hopelessness, and they gave up on their families. They gave up on their children. They gave up on doing anything of significance, and they felt no purpose. Most of them just want to die. And I think it's true of us, too. If you've ever gone through a season of unemployment, you battle the sense of, man, I don't know. It just I feel like I can't thrive. There's something to work. And maybe we, we swing too far to the other end of the spectrum where we work too hard. But work does have a place in the health and the thriving of our lives. So I want to pose this question to you. What if God gave work to us, not as a curse, but as a gift? What if God gave work to us, not for his benefit, but for ours? Not for us to accomplish something for him, but for him to accomplish something in us. How different do we approach work then? That this job that I have with that manager that I cannot stand, with the repetitive nature of everything that I'm doing is actually a gift from God. Man, that changes everything. According to the Bible, we don't just need money from work to survive. We need the work itself to survive and live fully human lives. So what I'm saying is work has dignity and meaning and purpose because it's something that God does and we get to do it in his place. In short, work is an essential component to live a meaningful human life. Y'all got that, right? But here's the beautiful thing. Some of you are saying, okay, cool. Maybe I can tap into that and, you know, view my work as sacred. But how is what I'm doing, like, It has no bearing on the kingdom of God or for the rest of eternity. How is that app that I'm working on? Like, what is that going to do for the new Jerusalem? Like, how is that coffee that I'm serving or that thing that I'm doing for my manager that they're just giving it to me because they need me to do something, but it doesn't really matter. What are all these things going to do? But here's the beautiful thing. All the work that you do, whether it's practically meaningful or significant or not, is meaningful for all of eternity. This is what um, Amy Sherman says. She actually writes a lot about this in her book. She says, every faithful act of service, every honest labor to make the world a better place, which seemed to have been lost forever and forgotten in the rubble of history, will be seen on that day at the final resurrection to have contributed to the perfect fellowship of God's kingdom. All who committed their work in faithfulness to God will be by him raised up to share in the new age and will find that their labor was not lost but that it has found its place in the completed. One of my mentors puts it this way, every work that you do once submitted to God, even if it's the stupidest work that you can imagine, it actually is like a brick 
that we're building our eternal dwelling place with. And so every time I respond to that manager or that supervisor and I do that meaningless task, I'm laying a brick for the new Jerusalem, whether it seems, and I don't know, there's a part of it is a mystery because I don't know how that software patch that you worked hours on works for eternity. I don't know what that does for the kingdom of God for all of time, but there is a truth that we see here in scripture and in the nature of God that all of your work matters and none of it is wasted when it is submitted to him. And this is why all work matters, not just ministry in the church. This is why Paul says in Colossians 3, 23 through 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Paul's saying every work you do, do it as if you were doing it unto the Lord. That project you're completing for your boss, do it unto the Lord. That coffee that you're brewing for your customer, do it unto the Lord. The spreadsheet that you're filling out, do it unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul goes on to say, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know, the ancient Hebrews, they had this on lockdown, fam. Like, they knew this exactly. They understood how faith and work came together in their lives, so much so that they actually used the same word for both work and worship. The word was, I might be butchering the pronunciation, it's avodah. And it translates as work, but it could also translate as work or service. They understood that God's original design and desire was that our work and our worship would flow seamlessly together in our lives. Avadah is a picture of integrated faith, a life where work and worship come from the same root, the same foundation, and they flow seamlessly through our lives. Some of us need to recapture Avodah. We need to go to work on Monday and say, this is not just work, this is worship. This is sacred. And the Bible shows us that not only does work itself have dignity, but all kinds of work have dignity. Look at Genesis 1 and 2. What is the first thing God works on? It wasn't a sermon. It wasn't community group material. It wasn't a discipleship course. The first thing that God does is he works manual labor. He shapes us out of the dust of the earth. He plants a garden. And listen, some of you are saying, of course God does that. He loves us. But you don't understand how revolutionary this idea was. Philip Jensen, he says, if God came into the world, what would he be like? For the ancient Greeks, he might have come as a philosopher king. The ancient Romans might have looked for a just and noble statesman. But how does God of the Hebrews come into our world? As a carpenter. Listen, y'all thought, you know, cool, Jesus has a side hustle. Like, he's just into wood. I don't know why. He's just a carpenter. You don't know how significant that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, came as a humble carpenter, someone who gets their hands dirty, does the work of the people, the work sometimes that we overlook or we demean and say, you know, we don't really want those jobs. The gospel doesn't make everyone into church workers. Rather, it turns every kind of work into a sacred calling. Let's hear from TK again. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. 
What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Did you catch that? Like sometimes, you know, we're preaching to y'all. None, none of you guys are in full-time ministry, and we're just, we're trying to, we're trying to say, hey, and you, when you're not at church, like don't go get drunk, don't go have sex, like don't lie to one another, don't gossip, don't cheat, don't steal, and, you know, come to church on Sunday. Show up to community group. We're, we're, we're saying all these things. But he's saying the first demand that our faith should make on us is that when you go to where you work, whatever you do, be good at it. Joseph, be an amazing trainer. Paulette, Recruit the hell out of San Francisco. You know, wherever you're working, do it well. Your work is just as sacred as a calling to ministry. When you understand that work itself is sacred, and when you understand that work itself is worship unto God, all of a sudden what you do finds new meaning and deeper purpose. And maybe we should spend far less energy trying to turn church members into good church volunteers and spend more time empowering you to be excellent at what you do. This is the gospel. Um, This is my first disclaimer coming in for a landing. I got two more. I've been gone for a while, guys. I missed preaching. I swear I'm almost done. This is kind of a long quote, but bear with me. Um, I I just feel like it's so relevant to what we're saying. Gene Edward Veith also has a lot to say about this. Luther goes so far as to say that vocation is a mask of God. That is, God hides himself in the workplace, the family, the church, and the seemingly secular society. To speak of God being hidden is a way of describing his presence as when a child hiding in the room is there, just not seen. I can't wait to play hide-and-seek with my son. To realize that the mundane activities that take up most of our lives, going to work, taking the kids to soccer practice, picking up a few things at the store, going to church, are hiding places for God, can be a revelation in itself. Most people seek God in mystical experiences, spectacular miracles, and extraordinary acts they, they have to do. To find him in vocation brings him literally down to earth, makes us see how close he really is to us, and transfigures everyday life. Woo! We can have our altar call right now. Man, God is hiding in your spreadsheet. He's hiding in the nagging of your manager. He's hiding in that project that you've been working on. He's hiding in the coworkers that you can't stand. He's hiding in the meaningless, mundane, routine activities. And once we have a new awareness, it changes everything. Y'all, most of y'all know, but there's a lot of new folks here. There was a season where Krista and I had to work part-time jobs as baristas at Craftsman and Wolves. And most of you know, I actually don't drink coffee unless Iris or Alex makes it. Then it's amazing, and I drink the whole cup. But I don't like coffee, and I was a barista for six months. And, you know, this is like my first secular job in like a decade. Like, I'm just a church boy. I just, I've been working for church all my life, and so I know church work culture, but I know nothing about secular work culture. But I tell you what, a few months in, I found myself in the middle of the day one time. I remember I was just brewing coffee for one of my customers, and I just sensed so heavily the presence of God. Not even in me saying, you know, here, he brews. He's brewing something in your life. Not even like giving a prophetic word or like praying for my customer, but just in the making of that coffee, I was thinking, oh my God, 
There's something really powerful here. These beans came from the soil, from the earth that God created. And I get to use this to create something of value and pleasure and enjoyment for someone else in this world. And even just the very act, I felt the presence of God, honestly, in that season, stronger than when I'm preparing for a sermon. It's not holy, y'all. When I'm preparing for a sermon, it is literally me stumbling in the dark. It's not as spiritual as you would think. But in that moment, I felt the presence of God so richly, the mask of God coming unveiled in a simple act of grinding beans and putting it through the espresso machine and pouring milk and making super ugly latte art that God still delights in, but that we don't. God is hidden in everything we do. I'm going to the last section. Don't worry. This is, I'm really coming in for a close. Robert Banks, in his book, Faith Goes to Work, discusses God as our vocational model. He describes the various sorts of work God does and how different human vocations give expression to these aspects of our work, of his work. So basically, he, in this book, he created this list of how the work that we do every day, that you and I do, how it actually fits into the work that God is already doing and has been doing from the start of time. And so I want to I go through this model because I think it's helpful in helping us identify, helping us uncover the mask of God in what we do every day and seeing the intrinsic value of our work and how our work fits into God's work. And so there's six categories that he breaks it down into. And sorry if your, your profession is not in here. It's not extensive, but I'll try my best to shout it out as I see it. So the first one he calls redemptive work. God's saving and reconciling actions. And these are those who work to incorporate redemptive elements in their stories, novels, songs, films, performances, talks, and other works. Just think Pixar, right? Pixar is redemptive work. Even though they're not, you know, shouting the gospel of Jesus, they have themes of hope and love and faith and redemption weaved into their stories. And so these are the evangelists, the pastors, the counselors, the church planners, the writers, the artists, the producers, songwriters, poets, actors, even dancers, designers, okay? These are the ones that incorporate the story of redemption into what they do. The second is creative work. God's fashioning of the physical and human world. In other words, those who reflect God's beauty and creativity to the world. This will be on our Instagram, by the way, tomorrow. So if you're trying to note, take notes, we'll have it there. And these are like the sculptors, the painters, the musicians, the poets, the designers, the craftsmen, the builders, the architects, the novelists, the urban planners, the chefs. I mean, do you see the sculptures back there? Our landlord actually creates those by hand. He is engaging in creativity creative work, even if it's not a sculpture of Jesus, beauty always points back to its creator, okay? And so all beauty is in itself intrinsically valuable. You know, Shinook, she's a, I don't, what, what's your job called? Yes. Shinook, like she's, what she used to do is when you walk into a store, like she, she manages the flow of the room. And so we'd go to Boba Guys all the time and, you know, she'd be like, this is horribly set up right? Because it doesn't make sense. One door, they should have two doors, one in, one out. So she's responsible. Listen, her work is creative work. It actually adds value. This is something that God does day in and day out. The third one is providential work, God's provision for and sustaining of humanity and creation. Those who help maintain the universe and human life in an orderly and beneficial fashion. All you J's, you know, you're, you're resonating with this. This includes conserving, sustaining, and replenishing in addition.
mission to creating and redeeming the world. These are the policymakers, the shopkeepers, the farmers, the firemen, the repairmen, the transport workers, the entrepreneurs, the bankers, the meteorologists, the civil servants, mechanics, engineers, plumbers, janitors, baristas, tech workers. I would even say trainers, right? We got Joseph and Ying in the house. They're, they're helping the sustaining and the flourishing of human life. The fourth, justice work, God's maintenance of justice. Those who pursue equality, dignity, and fairness for all. Judges, lawyers, paralegals, city managers, policy researchers, advocates, law professors, diplomats, supervisors, administrators, nonprofit workers, and organizers. These are all people who engage in God's justice work. Two more. We got compassionate work, God's involvement of comfort, healing, guiding, and shepherding, helping those who are in need who cannot help themselves. Doctors, nurses, paramedics, psychologists, therapists, social workers, pharmacists, nonprofit workers, counselors, welfare agents, uh, physical therapists, maybe even trainers I would put into this category. You know, when I hurt my back, Joseph really helped me out, man. He sent me, like, he came and brought a Theragun to my house. You know, he he gave me all these yoga poses and core exercises that I could do. It was actually helping. It was a work of compassion, God's heart for compassion. And the last is revelatory work, God's work to enlighten with truth, those who communicate truth. Preachers, scientists, educators, journalists, scholars, writers, filmmakers, podcasters. I know we got a few podcasters in the house. I was watching this Amazon Prime documentary called uh, Lula Roo or something about MLMs and pyramid schemes. And, you know, these people aren't just making entertainment. They're sharing truth, a truth for us to know and to value. And so in all of these ways, God continues his creative, sustaining, and redeeming work through the work that we do day in and day out. And this gives our work great dignity and purpose. Vocational stewardship begins with celebrating the work that we do first and then recognizing that God cares about it and is accomplishing his purposes through it. P, why don't you come up? Um, I'm going to close with this. One more quote from my man. TK's been good with us today, hasn't he? He's been dropping the heat. He's been been a good companion on this journey with us. But this is the last quote I'm going to read. He says this. Everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do will make any difference, and all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. I should have ended it there. Unless there is God. If the God of the Bible exists, and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor even the simplest ones pursued in response to God's calling can matter forever. Why don't we close our eyes? Woo! Came in with the heat there, P. Why don't we close our eyes? I think there's a few things that God wants to do today, but I want to ask, start by asking you a few questions. Do you know or even have hope that your work can be sacred and fulfilling. Even if it's not something that you're super passionate about or something that you want to spend the rest of your life doing, and maybe you're just doing it for the season, maybe just to get by, maybe just to make ends meet, maybe to work your way up to what you actually want to be doing, but, but do you have hope that even the work that you're doing now 
can be sacred and fulfilling. Maybe you're not passionate about what you do, but maybe you can be passionate about why you do it. That this is my act of worship to you, God. I mean, after all, none of us, not all of us have the privilege to do exactly what we want right now, but with what we're doing, God, can I find the sacred in it? Do I even have hope for that? What if even in the work you're doing this season, you can find deep meaning and purpose? What if in the work that you're doing on Monday that you do not care about, you can uncover the mask of God? What if you can tap into God's passion for your work? There's a few things that God wants to do today, and the first is this. God wants some of you to view your work as avodah, He wants to blur the line between work and worship. Do you work as worship unto the Lord? How different would it be if you showed up on Monday to your living room or to your office or to your Slack channel and you you just came and you said, God, may this be worship unto you. How different would it be when you show up to that client that you're training that's you know, not listening to what you say and continuing to eat boba and all the stuff that they shouldn't. You say, God, this is my act of worship to you. Right now, would you take a moment and say, God, I give you my work as avodah, as worship, avodah, as service to you. And I'll embrace the mystery, even if I don't see a connection to how this is contributing to the good of our world or the redemption of our planet. I will still trust in the mystery that my work is not in vain, that it is worship unto God that you are worthy of. God, right now, would you transform our work into Avodah? And the second thing, I believe God, some of you, God is challenging you to look for the mask of God where you work and what you do. How does your work give expression to God's work? Where is God in what I'm doing? Do you understand or perceive why your work matters to creation? Do you know that your work adds to eternity? Right now, just say, God, I want to see you in what I do. You are there. You're hiding in my spreadsheet, you're hiding in that manager, you're hiding in my coworker, you are there. Help me see it. God, that word that we gave um, earlier, some of our hearts are so hardened to our work, to our jobs. But even right now, would you begin to melt and soften the heart? Would it begin to flow? with hope, with passion, with excitement? Would you give us eyes in our heart to see you moving, even in the mundane, even in the repetitive, even in the seemingly insignificant things? Would you restore hope? Would you restore vision and purpose to what we do? Lastly, as an act of worship, we're not going to go into a song today, but I want you to offer your work up as a worship offering to God. And it doesn't have to be a song. It doesn't have to be this fancy saying. Just literally within your own heart or if out loud if you want, say, God, 
I give you the work of these hands. God, I give you the work of these hands. God, I give you the work of these hands. Right now, just offer it up as a sacrifice to God. Come on, some of you need a prophetic, physical declaration. Some of you need to lift your hands. God, this is my worship to you. May every work of my hands be worship unto you. Some of you need to say it. Some of you need to pray it inside of your mind. Just begin lifting up your worship to God and saying, may my work, may the work of these hands be worship unto you. God, I thank you. Man, I pray this touched at least one person today. I pray that this would help us see the beauty and the value of what we do. Help us see you in the midst of it all. Soften our hearts. Give us hope. Give us vision and give us purpose. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, we say, amen.